tonight on Huckabee. Actor Gary Sinise's journey to serve others. Tim Tebow scores big with his new movie, and we celebrate Ricky Skaggs Hall of Fame induction. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you very much. And thank this wonderful studio audience for joining us right here in our theater. Now, when I tell you I just got back from Israel, I mean like noon today, just before we started rehearsing this afternoon, and taped the show tonight. I'm going to tell you, it's a good thing we've got a high energy and fantastic group of guests. Or I might go to sleep in the middle of my own show, <laughs> which is not good. But I'm so glad to be back but still reliving and relishing the moments of being back in the land where Jesus was born, lived, died, and rose again, and where everything in the Bible from the time of Abraham onward happened. Now, I've been going since 1973, when I was just 17, and I never grow weary of being there and learning more about the Bible, the world, and myself, which I learn with every trip. Now, we take some amazing people with us just to add some joy and fun to the trip. America's Funniest Woman Alive, Shonda Pierce, entertained and blessed us, as did Al Denson, a group of great entertainers from Branson, Missouri, and many others. But we had a special moment when U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, brought his Gibson Les Paul gold top and jammed with our band. Now, I'm not sure who had more fun, the crowd or the ambassador. But he's really quite good, and we're already planning for another gig. Hey, while I was gone, it looks like another 50 Democrats decided to run for president. <laughs> bringing the total number over 75. Okay, so I'm kidding about that, but it does seem that way. But you know, that's good. The Democratic primary ought to be a lively, open, and free process. I mean, the more ideas to improve our nation, the better. But I truly hope that there will be some Democrats who are maybe more like the traditional ones, ones who believed in national security, reasonable taxation, and economic stability, and who actually believed in protecting innocent, unborn life. So far, the ones announced... <laughs> so far, the ones who have announced not only think a border wall is immoral, but they believe in open borders, and some even would tear down existing borders. And they all defend abortion and think we shouldn't have any restrictions on abortion, even up until the moment of birth. Now, Democrats didn't used to all think that. Many want to raise taxes to 70% and more, but they can't explain how that's going to help create a job for anybody. In fact, I mean, that'll be a total job killer for everyone, especially people at the bottom who really need the job. And it used to be that Democrats were supportive of our relationship with Israel, and often, quite frankly, even more so than the Republicans were. That's no longer the case. And it's especially troubling with hateful, openly anti-Semitic comments from Muslim Congresswomen like Ilan Omar from Minnesota or Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, whose profanity-laced expletives about the president had to be bleeped from every network. And let's face it, some of those networks, they don't bleep very much pretty bad when they got to bleep it. Now, it's a very early start to a presidential race that won't even be decided until November of 2020, which is almost two years away. And I can't make any real predictions about it, except one thing I can predict with 100% certainty. I will not be running. <laughs> not as a Democrat, not as a Republican, or an Independent. And when people ask if I might ever run for something again, I tell them very bluntly, there is a greater chance that I will have transgender surgery than I will ever run for anything again. Is that clear? Look, I've run for public office many times. I've won lots of times. I've lost a couple of times. 
but I like what I do here on TBN, so I hope you like it too, because I plan to be around for a while. And besides... Besides, I just don't think I'd sound that good singing soprano. Well, you know, my first guest from his award-winning movie and TV roles, including Forrest Gump and CSI New York. But this could also be a Huck's hero segment, thanks to his tireless efforts to help our veterans and their families. It's an inspiring story that's told in his brand new book called Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. We are very honored to have a great American patriot and a wonderful actor, Please welcome Gary Sinise. <laughs> Gary, you are beloved everywhere you go, and clearly in this theater, you are most welcome. Thank you. And I want to tell you something. I've decided that you may be the Bob Hope of our generation in supporting and entertaining the troops all over the world. I don't know if anyone is doing more than you are <laughs> to honor our veterans. Thank you. I want to begin by asking you a question. Was there ever a role that you said no to that later you said, wow, I coulda, shoulda, woulda? <laughs> Uh, you know, there was a, there was a role, here, here's a thing that happened. Uh, I did a movie uh, with Ron Howard called Ransom. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, they offered me the part and I did say no. Um, but then I regretted saying no. And I happened to run into his producer a little later on and I said, how's it going, uh, you know, casting that part? And he said, well, we're just about to cast it. We, you know, we're gonna offer it to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, and I said and he said why, and I said well you know I kind of regret turning it down. <laughs> and so he he said well uh, okay. And then 15 minutes after I got home, Ron Howard called and said, do you want to be in this movie now? And I said <laughs> yes. And uh, I got the part. It was the part of Jimmy Shaker and Ransom with Mel Gibson, and uh, I got to play the bad guy. So. When did the acting bug just really bite? And you say, I want to do this for a living. I, w I was a terrible student from the time I was uh, in kindergarten all the way through school. I, I, I was just a terrible student. You should have gone into politics. You would be perfect right there. <laughs> you, you, you had such an opportunity. <laughs> But thank God you didn't. No, no, what I did do was went into music. <laughs> and you're really good at it, by the way. You really are. You're a phenomenal well, bass player. Thank you. I, uh, well, I got a guitar when I was in fourth grade, and it was the only thing that kind of got me through uh, the, the pain of not being uh, able to get through school. And I was standing in a hallway with, with some of my band members, and we were looking pretty scruffy and kind of beat up and sort of, you know, crazy looking. And... Um, the teacher, this teacher walked down the hall, drama teacher, and she looked at us and said, I'm directing West Side Story, and you look perfect for a gang member. Please come in. <laughs> what a compliment. <laughs> and then she blew off down the hall, and, and then I, uh, I actually went and kind of checked out the audition, saw all the pretty girls going in there, and I followed them in. And <laughs> they gave me a script. I got up there and started reading, and I was stumbling through it, but I was making jokes, and I, I got the part, and there it was. Turned my life completely around in a new direction. I ended up starting a theater company after that. The theater company is now 45 years old. It's still going. It, it, we own four buildings. We're about to build another one. And it started with just late 18-year-old kids who wanted to do plays. I, I, I'm very impressed that in the book that's just come out, and by the way, I hope everybody in America will get a copy, it is a very candid story. Uh, but it's a wonderful story of why you care so much about our military veterans. It, and, and something that I didn't realize, both you and your wife have connections in your direct family all the way back to World War I. A lot of veterans around me, so it kind of starts there. And so I started supporting them in various ways in Chicago. In the 90s, I got to play a Vietnam veteran in Forrest Gump, and he was a wounded Vietnam veteran. So that started me 
supporting our wounded. And then after September 11th, mm. it was just, uh, it was such a devastating, catastrophic event. Our men and women started deploying. I just, I just felt called to, to serve in some way. So I started raising my hand wherever I could. And it, I, I ended up supporting multiple military charities. Mm. You, you created the Gary Sinise Foundation back in 2011. I, I've been to some of the events that you've done. And anyone who's ever been around either the Gary Sinise Foundation events or you in these settings will know that this is not sort of the celebrity drop in, come in, wave at everybody and do it. I mean, you really commit yourself in a way, traveled all over the world to entertain troops with the Lieutenant Dan Band. And Gary, I want, I want you to know, I mean, I think a lot of us look with such a great sense of appreciation uh, that your commitment to our military and veterans, the authenticity of that is just remarkable. And that's why I said, and I really think that I don't know of anyone who is closer uh, to doing that kind of service, the Bob Hope of our generation. And that's the greatest compliment I could pay to you for what you do. Thank you. Um, when you first started going out with the Lieutenant Dan Band that you created, were you shocked at the reaction that you got from those folks out there at the point of the spear in places like Iraq and Afghanistan who, who, who really wanted, uh, they, they needed you. They needed to know that somebody cared enough to come and entertain them and, and show some respect for them. Well, after we deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan, I, I, I raised my hand for the USO. What, what can an actor yeah. do? You know, so you, you call the USO up and I started going on tours and shaking hands and taking pictures and had a group of musicians that I played with for fun. We would just get together every once in a while and jam. So I talked to the USO and let me take them on a trip. And uh, we were pretty rugged in those days. I mean, it was a garage band in those days. And the band has done, oh, 450 concerts, something like that for the Incredible. troops. So, so we got a lot better as time went on. <laughs> and the, the band shaped itself pretty well. But the primary focus and mission of the band is simply to, to raise spirits and raise awareness for the men and women who serve our country. And that's, that's why I'm doing it. Well. But, but the book is called Grateful American. Clearly, I mean, that's the expression of your life. What, above all things, make you grateful to be an American? Well, I am grateful to be an American. I've, I've been around the world. I've seen what, uh, I've been to places where freedom doesn't exist. And so yeah. I value my freedom and I value the people that provide it for me. And I know where it comes from. I know it has to be fought for and protected. And the book is called A Journey from Self to Service. Mm. So I went from a singular focus mm. on my acting career and this free society that has offered me the opportunity to be an actor in, and make a living at it, to using so, uh, something that's been given to me, success, to do something good with it and do something positive with it. I just want to give back a bit, and I've been blessed to, to have the opportunity to do that. Well, let me tell you something. I am a grateful American, grateful for you and your service. The fact is, I don't know if anybody, anybody who's ever met you that does not love you and appreciate you because you're one of the most genuinely gracious people that I've ever been around. And what an honor to have you here. You love Gary Sinise. You're going to love his book. It's a powerful story. And it'll make you not just love him, but make you love America even more. It is available at all major booksellers. You can get it online, of course. And if you act quickly, and that means quickly, you can get a personally inscribed copy along with a Grateful American T-shirt and of course, it was made in the USA. All of that is at the GarySiniseFoundation.org. And while you're there, why don't you see what you can do to help our veterans? Keith, I'd be grateful if you just let us know what we've got coming up tonight. Oh, it's going to be a great show. Coming up, country music's newest Hall of Famer, Ricky Skaggs. Then, Tim Tebow reveals why his new movie is a winner. And later, Larry, Steve, and Rudy, the Gatlin Brothers, perform. Lots more Huckabee is on the way.
I got to tell you something. I grew up on that song, Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. And if Jimi Hendrix were still around today, he'd have the Music City Connection backing him up, I'm pretty sure. What a great job they do. We're so happy and proud to have them on our show. But when a man has a dozen number one country hits and 15, count that, 15 Grammy Awards, I mean, he hardly needs an introduction. But I have to tell you that he just capped all those achievements with the ultimate honor, induction into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Here to share that amazing story is my friend Ricky Skaggs. Not only my friend, but my neighbor in Hendersonville. <laughs> That's right. What a joy having you back. What and, a joy uh, to be here without an instrument. We can talk. We can talk we can visit. indeed. Yeah. I How mean, about it, Gary Sinise? Was that just the coolest thing ever? He's just, he's a wonderful human being. He is. I he's love so Gary humble. Sinise. He is. So and I mean, humble. he's that way on stage, off stage. He's, he's consistent. And I love it when people are always who they are. Okay. <laughs> Country Music Hall of Fame. Wow. Be honest with you, I thought you'd already been there. Because, I mean, if anybody deserves to be in the Country Music Hall of Fame, it's Ricky Skaggs. And congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, a lot of people thought that same thing. I thought you was already there. <laughs> so, well, we're making it official now. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I was, uh, the only disappointment, I heard that they really had a hard time getting anyone notable to present it to you. And so they ended up getting some guy, I think his name is like, Garth Brooks or somebody who yeah. presented it to you. And yeah. He's been such a cheerleader, you know, trying to, you know, rally the troops to get me in because, you know, he, he felt for many years that, that uh, the music that I had recorded back in the, you know, in the 80s, early 90s, you know, was, uh, was such uh, music that really got him excited about country. Mm. And, you know, I'm just so thankful and so grateful and... Uh, humbled by God's goodness. You know, it's the, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. You know, his goodness, he's so good. You know, and the consistency we were talking about earlier is something that is so true about you and faith. But I want to go back to the night of the induction because something pretty magical happened on the stage. Yeah. Um, obviously, an influence of any one of Bluegrass was Bill Monroe. Yeah. And they took his mandolin the Gibson F5 that he played forever, handed it to you and let you play it again. Yeah. They've never done that for anyone yeah. before. Taking one of the, they call them the precious jewels. Mm. It is, uh, it's Bill Monroe's mandolin, Earl Scruggs' banjo, uh, you know. My bass. Car your your bass. And, and, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Why is the audience laughing? Eh? That wasn't even a punchline. Come on. What's funny about that? Yeah, Come on. really. He's sensitive. Don't be. Yeah, I, uh, I get my feelings easily hurt. That's why I went into politics. Too. I wanted to yes. be in something that didn't have rejection. But seriously, <laughs> you, you you got to play that, and, and you led the audience in singing. Will the circle be unbroken? Yeah, it was amazing. You know, uh, the thing that was was really amazing that a lot of people wouldn't know uh, is I played that mandolin when I was six years old. Mm. Six years old. When I was six years old, we went to see Mr. Monroe in Martha, Kentucky. It's in my book, huh. uh, Kentucky Traveler. Um, and we went to see him, and, you know, I'd been playing in church with mom and dad, and my dad had bought me a mandolin when I was five, so I, I was barely playing. But uh, anyway, when, when Mr. Monroe got up there and started singing, I mean, he, he must have sung, you know, maybe a half hour or so, and some of the neighbors in the hood started shouting out, you know, let little Ricky Skaggs get up and sing a song. So after three or four of those, I think he was ready to get me up, get it over with, you know. But that mandolin was what I played. He put that on me, and for my little six-year-old bony frame at that time, it was like a guitar size, because the one I had was like a little half-pint size, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, that mandolin has always meant so much to me because that instrument really was his musical partner. Mm. If you go back and listen to what, where he came from and when he got that mandolin, that became his partner in life and he played it till the, the day he passed. If anybody 
ever deserve to be in the Country Music Hall of Fame, I'm talking to him right now. And Ricky, congratulations. And thank you, thank you so much for coming and sharing that great story. Appreciate it. If you want to see Ricky Skaggs' tour schedule with his band, Kentucky Thunder, if you want to get his music and his incredible book called Kentucky Traveler, My Life in Music, visit rickyskaggs.com. But I'm going to warn you, once you're there, you don't want to leave. Our own Tennessee Radio Hall of Famer, Keith Bilbrey, for many years, the announcer of the Grand Ole Opry, he's standing by to tell us what to expect after the break. I would love to. Next, funny news stories on In Case You Missed It. Then, Tim Tebow's Hollywood movie premieres. And visit the ancient ruins of the city of David. All on Huckabee. From an unforgettable wedding venue to non-binary airline tickets, we've got the news that'll make you identify as gender exhausted on a segment that we call In Case You Missed It. You know, wedding venues can be such a difficult thing to find and book. Whether it's the mountains, seaside, or a beautiful cathedral, everyone wants the perfect setting. Well, one couple deserves a big congratulations for finding the perfect wedding venue. Joanne and William Bolanger of Berlin, Vermont, held their dream ceremony last week at the local Walmart. <laughs> Since they both work at Walmart, their manager said, why not combine nuptials and price cutting? Why, we'll even throw in the assistant manager as the minister. They really did. So again, you save more at Walmart. And by the way, don't waste money on all those flowers and frilly things for the big day. I mean, you can exchange vows in the flower department, be surrounded by the flowers. <laughs> the bride said they never imagined their Walmart wedding would go viral on social media. She just did it there because it was fast, easy, and convenient. <laughs> like Walmart, right? I'd say to you, William, you better hold on to that gal. She's a keeper. <laughs> and I don't believe the managers can honor Walmart's money-back guarantee this time. <laughs> so if this inspires any other brides to get married at Walmart, here's my advice to the grooms. Let her hold it in the floral section and then ride over to the deli for the reception. <laughs> hey, it gives a whole new definition of walking down the aisle. I mean, don't be surprised if the next time you're in Walmart, you hear, wedding on aisle three, wedding on aisle three. And don't forget to pick up some rice in the grocery section to throw at the newlyweds. <laughs> well, over in jolly old England, a woman seeking a bank loan wasn't offered one with compounding interest. She was just threatened with a pounding. The lady from Bristol was applying to get a loan to pay for her nutrition, schooling, and diploma. Well, instead of a credit check, the bank teller told her, quote, all vegans should be punched in the face, end quote. And her loan request was declined. Well, it seems kind of harsh. I wonder if the man thought he'd met the woman prior, but then realized he'd never met her before. Well, anyway, it sounds to me like her teller had been eating too much mad cow and has lost his mind. The customer went on to say that the teller had stated that, quote, people who advocate plant-based diets had scrawled sayings and pictures on a sidewalk near his home. Thankfully, after listening to the recording of the transaction, the British bank had us approved the loan and offered 200 pounds for her troubles. I just hope the teller has been tasked with eating 200 pounds of tofu just for being such a jerk. Well, the old joke used to be that in Chicago, dead men voted early and often. But even the famous Mayor Daley of the Windy City stepped down upon his death. Well, candidate Charles Lamb is breaking new ground, and, and that's not a burial joke. And that's because he's running for mayor of Edmond, Oklahoma. 
You see, he finished second in a three-candidate primary even though he died in December. So he was no sacrificial lamb. <laughs> Apparently, when Mr. Lamb passed away, it was too late to remove his name from the ballot or to add anyone else. And full disclosure, he was the current mayor of Edmond at the time of his death. Now, as to what kind of mayor Mr. Lamb was, most people said, not bad. <laughs> Were he to win on April the 2nd, a mayor would be appointed by the Edmond City Council. A Facebook campaign supporting Mr. Lamb was led by Edmond resident Michelle Schaefer, who referred journalists' questions to Councilor Nick Massey. Councilor Massey said that while he would be honored to accept the position, if Mr. Lamb wins in April, Mr. Massey said he would not be calling for people to vote for Mr. Lamb. Well, with respect to the departed mayor, I think the citizens of Edmond, Oklahoma should vote for the living and let Charles Lamb rest in peace. <laughs> After all, we've seen some pretty lame politicians in our time, but even the worst ones had a pulse on some issues. <laughs> And U.S. airline passengers will soon be able to identify as male, female, or MX in addition to undisclosed or unspecified. Really, major airlines? And you didn't include confused, undecided, or, quote, in progress? <laughs> Beck Bailey of the Human Rights Campaign stated this is a, quote, significant step forward for non-binary individuals, end quote. Actually, this is a significant step toward the country and major corporations going stark, raving, certifiably nuts. TSA states that passengers should use the name, gender, and birth date on their government-issued IDs. But I wonder, who's going to do the body search if a person is a biological male but doesn't want to be known as one? And does that mean that the passenger who is mixed up about gender can demand to be groped by someone who is equally confused? I mean, that's just something to ask. American, Delta, United, Southwest, Alaska, and JetBlue said they are all updating their booking tools to add a binary option to the gender choice on their websites. Here's a side note. As of the time of this story, all airlines will allow you to bring your gender on board with you. But if there is a way to make that an additional fee, believe me, they will do it. Also, Southwest is the exemption to this, as gender identity flies free on their airline. So United Airlines promise male, female, X, U, and MX as options on their gender choices for ticket buying. Reminds me of the old-timer who was asked, what's going to happen if the LGBTQ community continues to grow? He said, those of us who are heterosexual are going to have nothing left but bowels. <laughs> Folks, if life can get any stranger, I promise you it will. Well, like New York City, courting Amazon and 25,000 jobs, we've run out of time. But no matter where Amazon lands, we read the news. My next guest is a two-time national college football champion. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. And not to mention, he played in the NFL and professional baseball. He's written New York Times bestsellers. And now he's the executive producer of a movie. It's called Run the Race. We're family. No, we are family. You're some guy that walked out on us when mom died. He's our dad! No, he is not our dad. He's a drunk and a coward, and he is not my father. This came for you in the mail today. Congrats, you're on somebody's radar, son. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah, you're right, it's a big <laughs> deal, dude. It's the Florida Gators. I'm gonna get that scholarship. I'm gonna get us out of here. Please welcome Mr. Tim Tebow. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So Tim, this is the first time that you've ever produced a film. Let's talk about what drew you to the Run the Race project. I think it was just the story. Um, the goal was never to get into the movie industry, um, but whatever I do to try to encourage people and bring light and share hope with people, and hopefully that's what this movie will do. The, the story is a, a real life um, 
um, story where it's not easy and it's hard and it's, it's, um, it's disappointing at times, but even in the midst of those lows, how we can have faith, hope, and love and how God loves us in those moments and is with us in those moments. And, you know, and if it's a family that's going to the theater, hopefully they can walk out holding each other just a little bit tighter because this story has so much to do with reconciliation and giving and getting forgiveness and um, just want to bring people together because in this day and age, so much tears us apart. Tim, we are well aware that your parents dedicated their lives to the mission field. Did your upbringing around them in missions, did that play any part in your decision to make this particular film? Well, I think, you know, my upbringing definitely played a part into everything of, of who I am, and, and that played a part in, in this movie. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's finding whatever vehicle you can to be able to spread faith, hope, and love and encourage people. And, you know, whether I was trying to transcend the game of football or baseball or that was um, through, you know, my foundation or whether that's, um, you know, in broadcasting or that's even in movies. It's you want to be able to transcend, not just make a movie, but make a movie that impacts people and brings meaning and significance and purpose to life. Compare for us what it is to make a movie and being a professional athlete. I mean, did you take anything from your sports career that helped you when you made the movie? Well, I think um, understanding how to set up all the guys on the football field, that helped. Um, I think, honestly, so much of it that helped was relationships, um, bringing in um, friends that know what they're doing and are great. And, um, you know, Eddie George, a, um, a Heisman Trophy winner from Ohio State, was it, you know, acting in this movie, you know, as a scout. Um, and there's just so many relationships like that that are unique that we brought um, to this film that um, I think it will make it enjoyable for people to see. Who's your target audience? I mean, who should get out and see this film run the race? Well, I think there's so many different aspects of this film. Yes, it has to do with sports, but that's only a piece of the movie. It has to do with, um, really has to do with relationships. It has to do with boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, with two brothers relationships, um, a, a dad and his two sons, a coach and his players, um, a nanny, um, a pastor. And so there's so many different relationships that I think it, it will impact you if, if you're a mom or a dad bringing your family. It'll impact you if you're... Um, uh, a young, uh, young man or woman on a journey um, trying to figure out what's next in your life, um, good or bad, that God loves them like crazy. He loves them enough that he gave his best for them and his son, and, and he wants to know them. And um, they're, they're never too far. They're never too gone. He loves them like crazy. Tim, thanks so much for being with us. It's a real pleasure having you here. Be sure and give your parents my great regards. And best of luck on this great film, and this upcoming baseball season with the New York Mets organization. Thank you so much. Appreciate it and God bless. Now, Run the Race shows what's possible when you run to instead of away from the love of God. And it's playing in theaters right now. Be sure and see this inspiring film. Okay, Keith, tell us what's next. Well, coming up, we get down to the facts of the matter and discover new finds from the ancient ruins of the city of David. Plus, musical guest, the Gatlin Brothers on Huckabee. This past week has been a doozy when it comes to crazy news stories and partisan political intrigue. So we're going to take a few minutes to try and sort things down to the facts of the matter. And from the pages of MikeHuckabee.com, where you can keep up with my common sense approach to the news, and you can do that every single day, just sign up at MikeHuckabee.com. Right before your eyes on 60 Minutes, evidence of the bloodless coup that has seemed apparent for about two years to those paying attention. Former assistant director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, is being investigated for lying to his own FBI colleagues. We get a pretty good idea of what was going on at the FBI. These were people overstepping their bounds for the purpose of taking down the President of the United States. Oh, but CBS's Scott Pelley 
still made it about Trump, implying that the president's behavior sparked this madness and asking McCabe with dead seriousness, quote, are you saying that the president is in league with the Russians, end quote? Well, Chris Buskirk, publisher of American Greatness, said that McCabe is one of the cadre of people at the FBI and the DOJ who staked their careers on removing this president from office in any way they could, even using the secret police. The inspector general, in a 39-page report with lots of evidence, reported that McCabe lied repeatedly, including under oath. But McCabe is yet to be indicted a year later. Even though George Papadopoulos, Michael Cohen, Michael Flynn, and Paul Manafort from the Trump side have all been prosecuted for the exact same crime. Now, McCabe has plenty of company among liars on his side of the aisle, most notably James Comey, John Brennan, and Hillary Clinton. And those people have so far evaded indictment. So for what it's worth, McCabe offered more details about the Rosenstein offering to wear a wire story. He said, and I quote, I never get searched when I go into the White House. I can easily wear a recording device. They wouldn't know it was there. Now, he wasn't joking. He was absolutely serious. And in fact, he brought it up in the next meeting we had. Now that, my friends, is a conspiracy against the elected president of the United States. It was not patriotism. It was treason. 60 Minutes obviously ran this interview for three reasons. One, ratings. Two, to make Trump look bad. And three, ratings. All right, let's see what's on your mind from this week's headlines. We get this from Tommy in Maryland. He writes and he says, pollster Pat Cadell passed away recently. The Washington Post said no one had more to do with President Trump's victory than Mr. Cadell through his polling. But he was not a fan of the president. Can you make sense of this? Well, I can tell you this. Uh, Pat Cadell was a dear friend of mine. He was a Democrat. He'd worked with Jimmy Carter and was one of those old school types of Democrats that I spoke about when I opened the show tonight. Uh, he's an honest broker. And what I can tell you about Pat is he called it like he saw it. He was like an umpire. He called balls and strikes and he didn't do it with a sense of trying to shift what he saw or what he believed, uh, but rather as he really saw it. And for that, I will truly miss him. And I'm so sorry about his death, but he was uh, the kind of person that we really need more of in politics. An honest man from the day one. Well, this particular note comes in from a person who likes to be known as conservation-minded conservative. And this person says the, new, or the Green New Deal promises to eliminate all greenhouse gas emissions from manufacturing and agriculture and meet 100% of power needs through renewable resources. Now, this seems like it's going to cost a lot of money. Congressman Cory Booker, a.k.a. Spartacus, said that was a lie. So he asked, what's your take? Well, here's my take. There is no way in the world that we can eliminate all of the fossil fuels and still keep the lights on in your house. It's just that simple. Would we like to see renewable resources and energy? Of course we would. But by the same token, let's not be stupid about it. Uh, I kind of like going from one place to the other. I just got back from the Middle East. That's a tough swim, folks. And <laughs> I kind of like that if I want to go somewhere, I can do it on an airplane. Now, we can get rid of all of them, but we can't build enough trains to get us to Grandma's house when we want to see her. And I got some grandkids spread out around the country, and I'd kind of like to see them too. So with all due respect to uh, the folks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all of her friends who are pushing the new Green Deal, why don't you, before you get rid of the fossil fuels, you actually come up with something that will work. Then we might be willing to listen to you. And finally, this comes to us from Jerome in Massachusetts. He says, CBS 60 Minutes foreign correspondent Laura Logan recently stated on a podcast that conservative news organizations like Fox and Breitbart News offer the other side of news to a mostly liberal news landscape, partial to Democrats. She later said the interview was, quote, professional suicide for her, end quote. Why should that have to be for simply making an observation? Well, the answer is simple is because right now we are living in a world 
in which people don't get their news as news. They get it as opinion. And what Laura Logan said was rather bold, but quite accurate in that there is a preponderance of news that is delivered with a definite slant toward the left. If you don't believe that, take a look at the polling that shows that 90% of all news coverage about this president is negative. Now, I'll admit he does some things that may be cringeworthy for even those of us who love him and support him. But you cannot say that 90% of the coverage about him would be negative and that that would be even close to a balanced and unbiased view. Well, I hope you will take the time to email me any thoughts, questions, or critiques that you have about what's in our news. Just send your email to my two, my two cents at tbn.tv. And that's my two cents with the number two in the address. Until next week, those are the facts of the matter. Keith, why don't you go ahead and tell us what we've got coming up and give us the facts. Okay, you better believe it. Up next, Jerusalem City of David and then the music of the Gatlin Brothers right here on Huckabee. I'm just back from a wonderful tour of Israel with several hundred guests. And while there, I had the chance to go deep into the ground and journey through the ancient shafts, tunnels, and waterways that make up the original city of David, the place where Jerusalem began. So Zeb, we are literally walking up to Jerusalem on the very pathway that 2,000 years ago, Jewish Worshippers would have been headed to the temple, and Jesus himself would have walked on these very stones. You know, we're fulfilling the words that it says in the Bible when it speaks of pilgrimage. It's, in Hebrew, the words are ole regel, or aliyah le regel, which of course is understood as a spiritual ascent up to Jerusalem and the temple, but it also literally means to lift your feet. So the city of David today is 11 acres just outside the walls of the old city adjacent to the Western Wall. What's exciting about archeology span and in Jerusalem in particular is that you have a thriving modern day city. At the same time, you have beneath your feet thousands of years of history that has significance to billions of people around the world. Now in 2004, archeologists discover the ancient pool of Siloam. The historian Josephus says that 2,000 years ago, more than two million pilgrims would ascend to the temple on the pilgrimage festivals, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. The Pool of Siloam would have been the largest ritual bath to accommodate the hundreds of thousands of pilgrims going up to the temple. How did all those pilgrims get from the pool up to the temple? And so they widened the excavation. And we are standing on what they have discovered, the ancient pilgrimage road being excavated as we speak. Behind us over here, we have an ancient podium, the only one of its kind ever found in Jerusalem, a found along the pilgrimage road. Imagine someone who would have had a political message. If you were running for governor back in the day, this is where you would have uh, given your stump speech. You have found uh, coins in the course of the excavation. You got one to show us? Absolutely. So the Bible tells us that in ancient times, there was a flat tax, right? It didn't matter whether you were yeah. rich or poor. Once a year, all of Israel would have to bring a silver half shekel coin for the upkeep of the temple infrastructure. Mm. Along the pilgrimage road, a coin just like this one, an actual silver half shekel coin, which says on it the words, Holy Jerusalem was found. It's amazing that it's lasted all that long. But again, another validation of what's here, the history, the archeology. span To be able to share it with millions of people around the world is a privilege. And that makes it all the more perhaps frustrating when you have the United Nations, a body like UNESCO, whose mandate is to preserve the cultural heritage of humanity who they recognize that Jews and Christians, in fact, do have something in common, according to them. 
and that is that we have no historical connection to Jerusalem. And they go one step further. They condemn the ongoing archaeological excavations taking place in Jerusalem. Now why? Why would they condemn archaeology? Why would they try to rewrite Jerusalem's history? And the answer is, if you want to tell an exclusively Islamic story about Jerusalem, well then, you will hate the archaeological excavations here because every day we are unearthing antiquities that are proving, again, not simply as a matter of faith, but as a matter of fact, the connection of Jews and Christians to Jerusalem dating back thousands of years. It's, it's unmistakably a validation that the Jewish people had their capital here and it is their ancestral homeland and they're the only people who ever had Jerusalem as a capital, ever. It's not just a tradition and stories being told orally, it's actual things that are physical that you can point to that validates the Word of God. That is absolutely right. When you visit Israel, and note that I said when and not if, be sure to plan on visiting the City of David. It is an amazing place that continues to give new archaeological finds and it inspires people of Jewish and Christian heritage as to the authenticity of the Bible and the truth of God's Word. You can find out more at cityofdavid.org.il. That's cityofdavid.org.il. I'll be going back to Israel, and I hope you'll go with me. Info is available at thegreateststrip.com. Now, hopefully, Keith Bilbrey isn't so jealous of my trip to Israel that he won't tell us what's next. So, Keith, what do you say? Come on. Coming up, a talk with Larry, Steve, and Rudy, the Gatlin brothers, and they perform their hit song, Houston, right here on Huckabee. Well, my next guests have been making music together for over six decades, and tonight they have adopted me as one of their brothers by letting me sit in and play bass on one of their biggest hits. I want you to make welcome Larry, Steve, and Rudy, the Gatlin Brothers. Yay! Thank you. It is great having you guys back. Oh, thanks. Good to be here with you every time. We loved having you during the Christmas season. We're happy to have you back now. And uh, the song that you're going to do and that I get to play with is, is, is one of my favorites of the Gatlin Brothers, and you got a bunch of great hits. What's the background of the story of the song Houston? We were in Omaha, Nebraska doing the Nebraska State Fair. They don't call it the Nebraska State Fair, they call it Exarban, which is Nebraska spelled backwards. That's weird. It's just okay. the way they yeah. do it. So the guys left in the buses that night. At, I had an interview to do, so I stayed over. Then I flew to Denver, rented a car, and met them in Cheyenne. So on the way to Cheyenne, I thought, I'll write them a little song. Cheyenne means I'm one day closer to you. I got there, taught it to Steve and Rudy, and they said, that really stinks. Said, we're going to Houston, Texas tomorrow, the largest rodeo on the face of the earth. If you'll put that in a little 4-4 shuffle so some cowboys and cowgirls can dance to it, you might have something. So we did, and they were right. They were right indeed. One of the biggest hits I guess you guys ever yeah, had. Yeah, one of our biggest number one record. Yeah, we have, to, big, we have to sing Houston. I mean, Houston, Broken Lady, and All the Gold are pretty sacred. Those, yeah. those are, are great. Do you, do you still have favorite tunes of the Gatlin Brothers songs? Do you ever get where you say, I don't want to do that one anymore? No. Okay. No, but I have one that I want to do every night. What's that one? I've done enough dying today. I've done uh, enough dying today. Love the harmony. Love the harmony. Well, I guess what we should do is uh, do a little harmony, and hopefully I won't mess it up too bad, but I, I do tell people that when I play, I usually secure the role of the band's bass player forever and ever. So, Steve, oh, thank you very much. your job will be secure after tonight. <laughs> so as we get ready to perform, Keith, why don't you tell the folks how they can stay connected with the Gatlin Brothers? Well, for all things Larry, Steve, and Rudy, the Gatlin Brothers, please go to gatlinbrothers.com. Be sure to check these guys out in concert as they tour the states all year long. For tour schedules, please visit gatlinbrothers.com. Now, please make welcome Larry, Steve, and Rudy, the Gatlin Brothers! Well, Houston... Houston means that I'm one day closer to you. Yeah, 
Yeah.